What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Desolation Radio. It's me, your boy Dan Evans. I'm joined by the boy Nath Kush. What's yep, up, Nath? On tour once again. You alright, mate? <laughs> yes. We are joined today. We'd like to be joined by Joe Glenton. Joe's a veteran, an author, a journalist, now a filmmaker. Joe was the first British soldier to refuse to serve in Afghanistan or to go back to Afghanistan, for which he got court-martialed and then jailed in a military prison for five months. This experience is captured in his book Soldier Box, which won the Bread and Roses Prize. Buy it. <laughs> He's recently brought out a film called A Very British Institution, The Far-Right in the British Military, which is about the rise of far-right nationalism in the British Armed Forces. So, welcome, Joe. Thank you. Cheers for having me on, guys. And thanks for letting us use your um, the shed. shed. Yeah, yeah. Shed. <laughs> Didn't realise the housing crisis. Yeah, it's it's very rusty. Like, yeah, yeah. There's a bed out. <laughs> yeah, it's a kitchenette. Really doing like the, the, the veteran stereotype. Yeah. Just it's, like, uh, uh, <laughs> it's London, so this is like £2,000 a month. Right. As we said, please go and buy Joe's book, Soldier Box, which is a fantastic book. We're not necessarily going to talk about that so much today. But Joe, why doesn't the left talk about militarism or the armed forces? Why doesn't it take it seriously? Do you think it's a blind spot? It is a blind spot. And I think particularly, there's different ways to look at it because there's there's kind of the sections of the further left who do have a critique. Oh, yeah, definitely, yeah. Uh, but I suppose when we... Uh, the left now the is left. formulated around Jeremy Corbyn, himself yeah. an anti-militarist. But um, And this is this was really apparent in the manifesto, which I'm going through to, to write an analysis of it now. The stuff on defence and the military and foreign policy, they really writ large is the conflict, the internal conflict in yeah. the PLP, because it will literally go from a quite obscure like free, free the people of West Papua, yeah, and then it will be like, but the arms trade, the British arms trade is glowing and we love it, and so on. And I think um, because because they're having to negotiate electoral territory, um, a lot of the positions probably Corbyn and the people around him hold can't they can't lead with those. Uh, because the military in society generally is sacred. Well, it's, it's a sacred institution. It's kind of something. Well, when I was reading the manifesto, I thought this has probably been put in there to offset the chances of a coup. So that, like this, um, <laughs> keep it, keeping the nuclear deterrent. Obviously, even though he's a uh, he's personally against Trident. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, as you said, sort of keeping the arms trade ticking along nicely. Yeah. And you know the internal divisions in the in the PLP, you know, the right wing of the Labour Party, are in many ways far more militaristic than many Tories. Yeah, 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 yeah absolutely. And that's something yeah. they've obviously going to. And Labour governments historically, oh, of yeah. course. I mean, this is a huge break, but obviously it isn't a clean break yeah. in that sense uh, because they're still having to like kowtow to to that. Because and of course they that, another really good example of that is there's, there's a commitment to to properly educate people about the history of British imperialism. And that's something which informs the British Army's internal culture to such a degree. And yet there's this other stuff that kind of contradicts that in a way. So I think for the, for the electoral left, as it is formulated around Corbyn, they kind of have to tick the boxes of uh, we love our boys uh, and so on and so on. So there's a, there's a strange conflict going on um, in uh, the electoral left. To an extent, I mean, Britishness itself is arguably underpinned by mm-hmm. sort of this hegemonic like militarism and imperialism anyway. So mm-hmm. it, it's not just the Labour Party, like the whole of society is, is permeated yeah. with yeah, this yeah. stuff. Um, these sort of imperial assumptions about our boys, as you said. Yeah. Right, so has anything changed since the end of operations in Afghanistan? In your documentary, you you, you talk, you touch on the ongoing militarisation of, of society, basically. What, yeah. Um, what's changed? I, I mean, it's, 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 a, it's, a content, it's, it's a battleground. This is a battleground and it's still contested. Uh, what we saw when those operations were going on in terms of militarism was that they were deeply unpopular. And so the British establishment, various people in it, uh, the Murdoch press, General Richard Dannett at the time, subsequent military leaders, uh, Gordon Brown was a leading figure of it, um, attempted to use... What they were trying to do was was put the troops in between the population and criticism of foreign policy so that they could say, if you're criticising foreign policy, you're 
unpatriotic and you're attacking our boys and that's a common trope yeah and the way they did it is effectively borrowed from the american model yeah where they have these ridiculous kind of thank you for your service <laughs> yeah. um traditions Saluting people never say that to me if you ever meet me i'll, I'll be I'll thank be you for your so, service yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, he's really like, what, what, what are you even talking about you don't even know what i did um but uh yeah so there's this so, so that those wars were used to um uh try and deflect try and shore up foreign policy by throwing the blokes in the middle, whatever that means to the guys. Um, and that has continued, and that, that was particularly pronounced. There was an introduction of a load of measures, the military covenant, some parts of which, the corporate covenant, some parts of which are like grassroots militarism, naming streets after soldiers, yeah. local remembrance parades, lots of veterans events, the proliferation of military charities, lots of which are deeply scammy and very political. Um, the introduction of Armed Forces Day, which previously was Veterans Day, um, so we don't have a day now. Uh, the the massive kind of steroid injection into Remembrance Day, um, which uh, a, a number of veterans I I know call uh, Christmas for fascists <laughs> now, basically. Um, and so and I guess what we because this this um, Remembrance just gone was the last uh, was the first outside the the Remembrance the centenary period for a while. Um, so now it's we're going to see how it. How, how they carry on that militarism because they don't have something to pin it to. World War One, it could be pinned to that. A lot more poppy um, costumes, like yeah, 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 and yeah. And you saw some of the tone of it. I don't know if you followed yeah. that giant poppy one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which yeah. Is absolutely yeah. Yeah. Which is a, a brilliant, uh, hilarious satirical critique. I like the strictly come dancing remembrance. Yeah, where they're all like marching on. Yeah, yeah. and good. just people dressed as giant poppy. Yeah, yeah. And, and I like the like football that. football mascots pin. Yeah, and there was like a Peaky Blinders. There was yeah, like the one badge. Was a poppy with a P, and I'm like, what's that got to do? As if like Peaky Blinders doesn't have a kind of everyone's got PTSD. Yeah, it's actually quite a good critique in terms of if you if you actually listen to it of, of, of war and the effects of world war one but now we're at this we're at this this juncture where how do they continue that um and i don't think they really tried to win that they really, really tried to win the opportunity to militarize society more and i don't think it was fully successful it was successful in some ways um but i think that's still contested ground and i think there were some victories for the other side mm. um, as well in um in opposing that and i think a lot of people who are not political, or I know, including veterans, find the way the poppy's been used um, disrespectful. They're very uncomfortable with it. The way it's been, it's been uh, hijacked. In a way, it's not the somber symbol it should be, and it's the sentiments of never again. I think people lament that those have been. Uh, there's been an attempt to like, yeah, uh, to to overpower the never again sentiment with um, "We love our boys" kind of crap. To maybe again. I mean, I spent a lot of yeah, time in America. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> yeah. Because that's fundamentally what what of militarism course, yeah. is about. It's yeah. not. It's about the next war. Yeah. yeah. It's about a base of support for the next war. Because we do. Uh, it doesn't look like at the moment, broadly speaking, living some kind of democracy for some people. So I think they have to have to like build support. They mm. still have to do that, and that might change by the end of this election. I don't know. It's like it's like uh, the, the way the things are being reported at the moment. Obviously, it's, it's looking increasingly authoritarian. Yeah, I know. So we're going to close close down Channel Four or something. Yeah, the other day. So who knows? It's by, just going to be that guy. By the twelfth, uh, we could all be partisans. Yeah, in the I'm it's, down. It's yeah. just going to be that uh, general. Yeah, I think the left would lose. To be yeah, living in, yeah, I don't want to be running around Brecon anymore. Yeah. Done enough of that. Um, so I mean, uh, that is interesting though, Joe, about what you say that you know it's about the next war. It's about mm -hmm. you know milit militarism. Absolutely. If you look at like academic definitions, it's about justifying milit it normalizing military force exactly. the way of exactly. solving things. Yeah. And and the British, you know, British armed forces are never far away from any conflict. Was it like 2016 was the first time? I think uh, no British soldier been killed in combat since was, yeah, like the sixties yeah. or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then after that, before that, the, before like the sixties, it was World War Two. Yeah, yeah. So 
you kind of overdo another war, another conflict, even though... Uh, and, uh, and Yeah, and there are rumblings. We see but with the historical moment, um, you can see those... You can see that there is still huge potential around the world. Yemen's still bubbling along. We have British yeah. troops on the ground there. Um, still noises about Iran. Still the hyping of the the threat of a rising China. Yeah, I don't. I wouldn't like, wouldn't like to. Wouldn't fancy the British Army's chances to take now <laughs> on. But uh, but uh, they, you know, they do. They do want it. They do need it, and they are thirsty for the British establishment. Are thirsty for war for any number of reasons for a complex. Well, the reason. British Army's standing in the world. Well, the Brit the British state standing in the world, and the British Army's relevance with, within the world and society is based on the fact that they're continually at war so they can go yeah. to and we have nuclear arms yeah and, and they can train the other countries yeah. and say look we've, we've learned yeah, this yeah. in this theatre of operations and so it's a constant justification yeah. the, even more, though, even the more you're at war the better you are even though they're really yeah. bad at it like, we're great at counterinsurgency and they cite like this was the thing in Afghanistan Vietnam, because like, they failed so badly in Iraq yeah and they, they were desperate to impress the Americans with um, Helmand and they cited uh they were like, we know how to do counterinsurgency. We did Northern Ireland as if it was a roaring success, yeah. and Malaya as if yeah. that was a roaring success. But yeah, they do, they do have a, a pretense of this expertise. The hubris of it, like in in Iraq, when they said, "Well, we won't patrol with helmets," you know, we'll patrol yeah, with yeah, berets yeah. and yeah, things. That lasted about twenty minutes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I mean, what you said about militarism and armed forces day and the rise of you know, they, as you said, they got to win this. In a, in some ways, that's just like it's like tip of the iceberg. And militarism goes a lot deeper than that, doesn't it, in society? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it yeah. penetrates education. Absolutely. It's, um, yeah. it's something that is a lot more sort of insidious. Yeah, Entertainment, yeah. too. Like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's a huge thing where you look at what's on the telly now from... Uh, SAS, who dares wins. Who dares wins. And those guys are, yeah. are uh, celebrities now. Yeah. Um, My Girl, stuff like that. Um, yeah, all kinds of things. Going, going back a long so. way, but particularly in the last, in recent years, um, so many, like, uh, Channel 5 type yeah. documentary shows, that, like uh, the one about... Uh, child soldiers about kids in Harrogate going through that process, but there, there's obviously um, an industry there for for uh, for military propaganda, and that's basically what it is. Yeah, I mean, it used to be like Commando Comics and things like that, and now it's yeah, yeah, it's yeah. it's moved on to television. Yeah, yeah. Call of Duty, Call of Duty yeah. Mil- yeah. the militarization of youth and, and a, games it, and things exactly, like that. And it's this like abominable mashup of reality TV yeah. and the military. Um, helmet cam. Yeah, yeah. This People stuff, watch yeah. helmet cam footage yeah. on YouTube. Some yeah. of the most popular channels on YouTube are these yeah, yeah. vet, like these helmet cam footage yeah, yeah. of war in Afghanistan, which makes people think it's just, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's just a game. And I mean, it was, it, like mine was the first tour I think where there was a where the camera phones. Everyone took camera phones. Mm. Uh, two thousand six, Operic Four in two thousand six, when we first went into the south. Um, was I think the first one where there was loads grainy yeah. footage, but loads of it coming back. Uncensored. Um, so I think, as I understand it, there was later a clamp down and people would be sanitised of equipment like that before they went on the ground. But um, yeah, and that, that's escalated. And I, yeah, like you look on YouTube and there's just endless footages of things being bombed, firefights. Some guy's got his, well, his helmet cam on. It used to be his phone out as paras being cavalier for you. But uh, yeah, yeah. Someone's got a TikTok, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sure. but that's the logical culmination. Of it, sure it is, yeah. like, and of course, these are these are like young, these are kids, yeah, basically, yeah. these are 18, 20 year olds who, who who love that stuff, you know. Yeah, and you grow up thinking it and then you live it. And yeah, it's, um, yeah, put that on the Instagram story. Yeah, yeah. basically. Yeah, basically. Mind strike. Yeah. Um, <laughs> with a picture of your food, like, in the middle of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interspersed with the yeah. uh, firefight. Um, yeah. So, speaking of the you know, militarization of youth culture, the militarization, like, online stuff and. Call of Duty and, and all that. What do you think of the latest um, recruitment campaign, Joe? So the, the January one, which is the one which had was a weird mashup of uh, the Kitchener posters, Your Country yeah. Needs You, the classic um, one, and loads of tropes about gamers, about millennials, 
about snowflakes. And I think one interesting aspect of it uh, to me is that they talk about millennials. I, I can't imagine the army or at least the recruiting people, uh, you know, the, the firms it contracts out to don't really understand what a millennial is. But they're not addressing millennials. They're addressing the generation below that, whether they're called zennials or, yeah, or whatever. Because, of, because yeah. I, I mean, I was born in 82, joined the army in 2004. I'm a millennial. Millennials yeah. have just fought the two wars in Afghanistan uh, and Iraq and elsewhere, the, the, the other ones which are bubbling away. Um, so, so it's a strange, uh, I guess they're just trying to grab a thing, millennials, and use it um, to kind of c- cleverly, to the degree the army can, uh, spin it on its head to make it appeal. But it's also, and it's kind of something we, we touched on uh, uh, in another conversation, there's a degree of, um, uh, it's kind of about self-development. It's, it's this idea that war is this like mode of self-development in the same way that some sports are, like Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu or particular diets. Uh, so it has this kind of cranky self-development um, thing to it. And then the other aspect, and it's something that's, that's increasingly common in the last, uh, as they've struggled to recruit, is um, they've really looked at um, BAME people, people of colour, and tried to draw them in. But uh, I understand the, the, the leading advert was about a young uh, black woman, uh, who's in a supermarket who's very precise and the, the idea was that through the narrative was that, that those skills would be useful in the army but then I understand she was almost immediately racially abused by a bunch of other serving soldiers on Facebook um, the, the video was posted and they, they started slating her uh, which really undermined the the, the army's campaign to um, to uh, move out, to try and target new groups of people which is what that was about gamers introverts snowflakes um, and then at the same time we've seen parallel campaigns campaigns about LGBT people, mm. um, British Muslims and so on and so on. So there's a bunch of stuff going on in the latest iteration of, of the army's recruiting. And the one before that, This Is Belonging, had yeah. a lot of similar things, didn't it? You know, it's like Definitely, your mates and yeah. it was it was a focus. It was like Community. A, it was like a black soldier on the mountain yeah. and then his mates were there and it was all yeah, very yeah, yeah. Well, It was very much. And I remember there was a moment where they all, someone had a brew, yeah. had brewed up and they all kind of came around there all the time. It was this, this, um, this, this moment. But yeah, that, that one was very much... I mean, all that same stuff is in there to different degrees, but that seems to be very much focused on like community, on a sense of um, there was there was also alienated bit, people finding a place to be. And there was also, I think, a bit about um, it's like male sensitivity. So a guy, like a, like a sergeant or something, this big tough guy in the jungle, it's okay to opened cry. some letter, yeah, and it presumably his missus cheating on him, or, <laughs> yeah, or yeah. you know, or some obviously bad, possibly, so, so it's some bad news, jarhead moment. So it's yeah. some bad news he's he's obviously had, and then um, his mates come around to him, and he's obviously like you know they're sort of supporting him and stuff, and it was yeah, all yeah. this about. So yeah, I mean, whatever neoliberal sort yeah. of shit comes, it's always going to permeate. And you can imagine because they, ha- the they have to. You can imagine that that it really jars with the old and bold, the old guard, the reactionary old generals and stuff that they're now forced to kind of uh, like, oh my god, liberal language. Mm. They, they have yeah. to inject this stuff um, in, and they're very, they really are terrible at it. I remember it was only this year that. Um, I noticed on Twitter they were like, "We've appointed two new race champions uh, for the army, both of whom were white senior officers." Uh, and then there was another. There was a, a very, very tough, stern-looking general a couple of years ago who was appointed as uh, army LGBTQ champion. Um, and I can just imagine this general being called in uh, to be given his promotion. It's like uh, Bob, Bob, <laughs> Bob, and he's expecting to be, you know, to be made head of the SS. And he's like, "Bob, we're giving you the gaze." <laughs> It's an incredibly important job. You can, you can imagine the reactions, and you can imagine that internal tension uh, between the old reactionary army officer corps, um, which is still very much a thing, and uh, the the this kind of um, need to incorporate liberal language and appeal to new groups of people, which must lead to some very interesting conversations. Other than just being uh, interesting feel, generally, I feel bad for the like the 
the guy who just stays at home playing video games all day and I think the, thinks the army's his friend and almost to get like yeah, bullied yeah. worse than he was at school like as soon as he gets through the door. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You, as you just talked on there about the, the black soldier who got racially abused, your documentary grows out of the book, I think, because obviously in the in the book you point out the, the shocking racism that you witnessed that was aimed at black soldiers. Mm-hmm. Um, you also talk about a loyalist soldier you met when you were in the military prison who mm-hmm. sort of celebrated uh, loyalist paramilitaries and so yeah, yeah, yeah. It's obviously such an issue that it's driven you to to mm. make this make this documentary. Yeah, um, yeah. I uh, that it's become apparent to me that in the veterans community and within the military, because there have been many many cases, these cases keep stacking up of racial racial discrimination, yeah. abuse of different kinds over many years. I obviously was witness to it to differing levels. Like not every not everyone in the military um, is racist, and one of the the stars of the documentary, Colonel Tim Collins, really struggled with this. That it's not about it's necessarily about the people in the yeah. military. Some are racist, yeah. some are not, but it's about whether the institution is built on racist ideas. <laughs> like the whether base. there's like a, it, it's like in the DNA of the military, its sense of itself, its culture. Um, and that is certainly the case. As an institution, the military is profoundly racist. Uh, and we wanted to kind of then look at that from different perspectives. And we were very lucky that when we went out, we got Colonel Tim Collins, who's a very famous figure who gave this yeah. rousing Iraq speech, uh, who's, a, who's a Northern Irish Protestant himself, um, as I understand it, uh, from what you're saying, <laughs> um, and uh, and then we met some loyalists out there almost by accident. But then we got, a, um, we spoke to a bunch of veterans who who could shed light on it, um, their own experiences of racism uh, in the military. And mostly it was set. It was about one of our guests was uh, one of our guys was Fijian, and he was forced up in a training video to dress as the Taliban. Only the Fijians were uh, the white soldiers played the good guys, obviously. Uh, the army then he didn't seem to understand why that would be problematic, but he felt it was that the, the soldiers of colour, as it were, were forced to wear turbans and dish dashes. Yeah. Um, uh, so there was that, but then there was also the, the kind of anti-Irish racism. Mm. Um, so a lot of it was filmed in uh, in Belfast and Derry, um, which I'd never been to. I, I missed that. Um, there's a few of us, uh, a few veterans I know who straddle both eras: the War on Terror and the and the the Troubles. Um, but my knowledge of Northern Ireland was very much their anecdotes. Mm. And I think it's a problem with British people generally, particularly now in this historical moment, that not many people of my generation anyway really understand Northern Ireland. Um, and certainly a lot of politicians don't really understand Northern Ireland. What is that the conflict still exists? This is ongoing, yeah. sometimes submerged, sometimes in the open. There were shootings and bombings while we were there. Um, and it's just this forgotten little backwater and it's slightly embarrassing. And, yeah. uh, but it's so interesting to be there and... Um, it was hard to like overlay my expectations and the stories I'd heard with the country itself, with Northern Ireland itself, Ireland itself, we'll, go, mm. we'll say. Um, yeah, it was very interesting to drive around there and, and see how it was and see the tension that still bubbles um, and talk to people from both sides, both communities, in Derry um, and in Belfast. This is a massive deviation, but obviously the Good Friday Agreement intends to sort of placate both sides and tell yeah. both sides that you know this is you're going to get this and you're going to get this and fundamentally it's something that is a is a short-termist document in my mind because it's yeah. Um, and my my sense is at, from being out there is that is that what it it's supposed to like settle the thing, but what mm. it actually does is make sectarianism forever. Yeah, it embeds it forever. Mm. <laughs> uh, these are the these are the lines. And what actually what struck me in both communities out there, which can't be addressed in the, the framework of the Good Friday Agreement, was the poverty. Yeah, on both sides, like Protestant. Uh, my politics are fairly well known, but Protestant and loyalist communities absolutely. Yeah ripped to shreds by mm. neoliberalism uh, broken 
Um, and that, of course, creates a, the next conflict or the continu- ensures the continuation of that, that conflict. And like the army itself, it's nationalism, which diverts people from understanding that, isn't it? Exactly, yeah. 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 So how big a problem is racism in the army then? Or the um, forces? Uh, it's it's uh, an everyday lived reality, if you are, as I understand it. I can't speak, I don't, I'm white, I don't suffer it. Um, but from speaking to um, soldiers from, from uh, different backgrounds, different parts of the world, of whom, when I was in, there were many because we were doing it. There was a big Commonwealth recruiting drive. It's very, very apparent. It varies. Obviously, obviously, it's got, it varies. Like some people, like if if you're a white kid from London, you probably would have grown up with loads of like Jamaican mates, Asian mates, and so you're probably less likely to be to be um, as racist, I would say. But um, particularly some of the lads uh, from up north, where there were communities where there was a very a divide, which had been stirred up by the far right in most cases, talking in the nineties and two thousands. Um, they would come in with like openly, openly mm. racist ideas, but that that that's it's not as clean and easy as that. Uh, it's much more complex than that. But certainly, um, most people um, from uh, non-white backgrounds that I've spoken to are very frank that they experienced racism casually and structurally. Um, but also the fact that there were there were Jamaicans, Ghanaians, Kenyans, mm. Indians. Uh, there is a is a of course they came here because we were there and so there's that back that structural yeah. background of colonialism which of course is built on racism and is implicit and in the organisation and celebrated we celebrate our battle honours we celebrate Rourke's drift where we mowed down thousands of Zulus well uh, and, and yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah and the uh, and the uh, and the Indian mutiny where we crushed crushed yeah. uh, nationalist uprising um, those things are celebrated and they're they're on the the big flag we've got like an LGBT peace flag behind us but a big the, the regimental honours are like it's like the big flag of the regiment mm. and it will have like the mutiny uh, uh, walks drift you know all the real regimental honours so it's part of the fabric of the military yeah it, 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 knowing the, the historical antecedent is such a massive part yeah, yeah. Of, of the military isn't it absolutely like yeah. tradition because the British military all militaries are tribal but the British military is particularly more than any other military particularly for example in the infantry even now after the restructure uh, because, because of the regimental system. Yeah, because of the regimental system and because it's regional and in some cases ethnic. The Royal Irish is full of Northern Irish Protestants. Mm. Um, some of the Scottish regiments are the same, are full of particular kind of people from a particular place. We have the Gurkhas, uh, an ethnic regiment, uh, and so on and so on. So you, what you've just touched on there, for example, um, Northern lads, for example, joining the army and bringing uh, certain racial assumptions or whatever, mm. is it's important to remember, isn't it, that the army reflects society in Absolutely. a way. Um, Absolutely. But to what extent is there, what I've noticed personally, and I don't know if this is something you agree with, almost like this, as a word you used earlier, like an emerging nexus between, I don't know, football casuals, the EDL, DFLA, Tommy Robinson, uh, yep. all, all these people, and militarism. And a lot of these uh, lads are obviously, who are in those sort of movements are going to get sucked into the military, yeah, yeah, going to yeah. join the military, or a lot of them are going to get sucked into it after they leave. Definitely. Um, so it seems, your documentary seems to sort of suggest that there's, the military is kind of a, of central to almost the the emerging British far right as a yeah, street yeah. movement. I would say so, I would say so. And there are, there are dangerous precedents for that. I mean, it's not directly comparable to like the Fry Corps. Yeah. But there is an element of that. Um, and I, when you look at the, the far right, they love... They are what people term, and I term, flag nonces. <laughs> okay, war nonces. They love it. They love. They love yeah. all those things, and and the, we can discuss the reasons why. But in amid that is this love of um, the reason the military is so appealing to them is because it echoes them. It's about power. Yeah. It's about submission. It's about masculinity. It's about violence. 
Um, and so for that reason, you can see why there's a crossover. You can see why these two things dovetail, not always neatly, because some people come out of the army with left-wing ideas, mm. myself included. Some people go in with left-wing ideas and they survive mm. and they're reinforced, which is probably the case for Phil, who I interviewed in my film, which you must go and watch. Um, but but uh, you can see why there is a crossover. You can see why the far-right appeals to the military, uh, because the military, I would term it, institutionally, is a far-right organisation mm. um, in terms of how it, it, it kind of thinks of itself in terms of its very revisionist version of its own history, which is a big far-right thing. Yeah. In terms of the idea of ancestor that weird you know there's that section of the far right have some weird nordic ancestor yeah, worship, worship shit. Yeah. there are parallels in the military <laughs> the way you you look back at the glorious ancestors and celebrate their massacre of brown people mm. um so it should be come as no surprise the only people who i think they do get it but the only people who publicly don't get it are the military themselves um i think most people even the people who defend it and say not must must know you cannot not see the crossover um and why they, they would appeal to each other at the most extreme, you've got groups like National Ash, National Action of a few couple of well publicised cases of infiltrating the yeah, military, yeah. serving soldiers are in you know far right terrorist organisations. I mean, yeah. we don't use the word fascist enough, I think, in this country. We all no, no, no. Um, and I think it's because it's been like exhausted of mean. Like fascism means something. Yeah, it, it's a historical <laughs> phenomenon. Yeah. Phenomenon. It belongs to a certain time and it comes from a certain place and it's thrown around. Yeah so much um but it, of course fascism is a thing it has a long and a history and there's lots of accessible analysis yeah. of, of what it is most of it marxist um and and you know parallel you know the left were the first people who recognized it but it's just it's just chucked around so much it's exhausted the meaning I think. and there's a problem particularly in the uk that you know fascism is associated with nazism so yeah, yeah. you know this idea that oh it's you know we're not fascists you know we fought we fought the nazis and things like that but like fascism isn't you know, yeah. Nazism was one manifestation of fascism, yeah. and, and, you know, and a fa in a sense, and this is the thing: is that uh, the Second World, the mythology yeah, yeah, of the Second um, World, yeah, exactly. was held up, and yet uh, in Franco Spain, which endured, which we were allied to, fascism was allowed to thrive, and in other places um, as well. And also, it's also the thing that there are there, are, fascism takes on Italian fascism is yeah. very different mm. um, from and Franco's fascism and. Uh, uh, German fascism, the, the Nazi part, obviously they're very different, aren't they? They have different characteristics, even though they share some core things. But I, I, I do see that. I do see that. It's, it's hardly um, surprising that a body of men with current military training, damaged by war, who feel they're emasculated by liberalism when they're actually emasculated by capitalism, could coalesce and organise and become angry and become lethally dangerous. I mean, uh, this, hap this has happened... This happens often. It happens when capitalism starts to decay. There's um, a book. I can't remember the name of the book. It was maybe bringing the war back home, but it's um, it's about the oh, in America, the Vietnam, yeah, about um, how the the start of the, the paramilitary far right in America was yeah, yeah. was Vietnam veterans yeah, coming yeah, coming back and um, as you said, everything you just described and, and bringing their military training and that was the start of this. Is new it bringing the war home? That's bringing the war home. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's another. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. I think um, that, like, there were good. Analogy. There were many. In the first world war as well. There were people. Um, you know, the British Union, the fascists, tons yeah. of veterans. Tons of veterans. Um, it's mad as well, isn't it, for like the UK as well to kind of uh, pin its identity through World War Two and fighting Nazism, but then kind of just like a lot of the time allow it. In it well, at least I think it, this the national narrative. Is mm. so so central to what we're talking about, and it need, like we need to like, decolonize it because it leads to yeah, almost yeah. Um, a complacency about fascism. Because people are like, well, it's not we can we couldn't be it's fascist because us, it's not ours. Yeah, yeah. You know, we fought against the Nazis and yada yada yada. Yeah, yeah. So I, I mean, some of some of that. I mean, it's not the topic we want to get into. It's mm. the most tedious topic in the world. But some of that is the is the way that 
um, wherever you are around uh, the EU stuff, that the the hard right out campaign. I was for out. I was like Lexit flavored, yeah. but the hard right out campaign, which was dominant, um, so put, framed itself in the sepia tones of World War Two yeah. and tried to capture that. But also, some Remainers have done the same. They're like, oh, this was the settlement of of Europe, and and the, so the the narr- the real narrative of World War Two and what it means is kind of lost Absolutely. and instrumentalized by both by liberals. Blairites generally and mm. and the and the far right. Talking about this, the threat of the far right within the military, mm. um, it's something you do touch upon in in the documentary. The you you show the the now well publicised footage of I think soldiers from Three Para um, mm. using Jeremy Corbyn's face as target practice. I mean, and uh, you don't want to use the word, but as you also mentioned in I think we were interviewing Tim Collins, senior officers have leaked to the press in the past that, you know, if Jeremy Corbyn gets in, there'll be a military coup yeah, and yeah, things yeah, like yeah, that. And, yeah. and it, there, uh, as we spoke earlier, there are like, there, there is a precedent in the UK in like the seventies, Harold Wilson mm-hmm. um, maintained till the day he died that there was a military show of force against him. The, the British military took over Heathrow under the pretext of a counter-terrorism exercise. And the key point was they deliberately didn't inform the prime minister's office. So this was something that was unsanctioned. He didn't know about it. And he was shaken to his core because he mm. saw it as a show of force and like this is what we can do yeah. if you don't toe the line. To what extent do you think that, you know, I mean, obviously Corbyn represents such a massive threat mm. to the military industrial complex in the UK and the, and the military establishment. Is this something we've got to think about or take seriously? Is it? Yeah, I mean, what we see, what we're seeing at the moment is um, like reformists, bless them, are running into the brick wall of the British establishment now. Mm. When you see what the BBC is doing, for example, there are logically phases beyond that. One of them is like, uh, having a real hardball interview for Corbyn and then uh, Boris Johnson inhaling a scone yeah. Yeah. <laughs> in a jolly way. I mean, th- those are examples of it, but there are phases beyond that. Um, if he, the closer he gets to power, if he gets power um, in the electoral sense, but then it, he's still not in charge of the country. It's not as clean cut. It's not just Corbyn is the boss now. Mm. Um, and part of that is the, is, um, the, the intelligence services and potentially even military response. I don't know the likelihood of it, I'm not saying there will be um, soldiers on the streets straight away kicking people's doors in. Um, I hope not, because they'll be coming after me uh, and, and probably you guys as well. But but um, you have to Great. consider that potential. You have to consider that potential. Absolutely. I think it's definitely something the left have got a a, bl- a blind spot about. Yeah. Um, it's something that it's a threat they don't really. I mean, the thing is, there's never been a need because Labour in power have always been so militaristic that they they, yeah, they yeah. don't deviate from from policy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Goals anyway, and yeah, exactly, and and also it's the thing that like Corbyn and his little band, his little band of front benchers, don't still don't reflect the like a lot of the Labour, the PLP is still absolutely is still that. Um, so to be getting this level of resistance um, at this stage when it's not looking that certain, and the PLP is still owned by the establishment in a sense, tell I mean it tells a story. I think it tells a story. So Corbyn's foreign policy. I know you you're going through the manifesto at the moment. Yeah, what would a radical you know, defence policy looked like. I mean, I spoke briefly to Ben Griffin from um, Veterans for Peace, mm-hmm. and he said, you know, unlike sections of the radical left, you know, himself and Veterans for Peace don't want to sort of like abolish the military. They want to just yeah, because I don't think they don't see that as a realistic and also uh, politically, it's a fairly useless question, and it's one that it's like, so you don't, what would you do? You don't want an army. Like, we don't have the power to abolish yeah an army. Yeah, um, so. um, and, pro- and I have no problem personally with a, a kind of defence force. Yeah. I mean, the problem is expeditionary foreign, foreign expeditionary wars. So, what might a radical foreign or defence policy look like? Do you th- I mean, how do, and how do you rate the yeah. Labour manifesto? It would look, it would look like about thirty <laughs> percent of the Labour manifesto now, like, but but through the whole thing, there's like 
and uh, we were talking about this, the Labour, particularly on foreign policy and defence, and I'm having to go through it now, is the conflict within the Labour Party, which mm. we've just touched on, is really, really large, because parts of it are like a War Powers Act, fantastic, unionise the army to a yeah. limited degree, yeah. a federation-style organisation. Send the Chagos Islanders home. I don't think that's a big electoral issue. To be honest. <laughs> I don't think your average person is at home. Um, uh, Freedom for West Papua. Those are all like Corbyn. And then at the same time, it's like renew Trident. Yeah. Um, we love the mili- arms Two percent military spending. Yeah, yeah the NATO, the NATO yeah. ticky box thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and so, and, and so those, those you can really see that clash in there. So more of Corbyn's stuff. Um, and I, I don't suppose it's just in moral causes stuff. It's less of the Blairite stuff. Out, and it's basically it's that the rest of that stuff is um, indivisible from the from the Lib Dem and uh, Tory manifestos. Um, maybe it's it's in slightly more detail actually because the Tories have been very vague, but it would look like more of more of that good stuff, I suspect. Um, but they, I mean, if, that's the thing. Even if he gets in, it's still going to be about there are like green shoots in there. Yeah, but it's still like. Being Prime Minister does not make you the most powerful man in the country. We know that. That's yeah. not how power works anywhere, let alone in Britain. Mm. Um, so it's still a matter of application. Ambition, yes. There's some good... I'll go with that. I'm with that manifesto, whatever its limitations. But uh, it's about application. How do you apply the good bits of it? Well, arguably, I think foreign policy is one of the the most controversial bits mm. of Corbynism. I think that's one of the, the main things that people are... The, the establishment are most opposed I to people. So, yeah. Obviously, nationalisation and things like that get people. People, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's going to be resisted. But it's really the foreign policy that yeah. is. Uh, and of course, one of the, the key strands of that, which has contributed so much to the way the anti-Corbyn campaign has been uh, pursued, is Israel-Palestine. Mm, I mean, that, that accounts for a lot of that yeah. that anti-Semitism crisis. Yeah, uh, whatever you may think of it, um, well, it's, it's it has to be traced back to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, in. Um, the documentary, I mean, when you've just talked about it, I mean, the army is the most, almost the, it's the throwback. It's the British state institution, which is, or closely resembles like feudal times, you know, it's yeah, like yeah. you've got an, off, an obvious officer class, you know, where the royals still go into the army and things yeah, like yeah. that. Um, and as you said, in the documentary, you've got the, the sergeant from the Fusiliers who now sort of recognises working class soldiers have been exploited, you know, doing the work of the bosses, uh, you know, and that and they, much like the rest of wider society, but obviously this is obfuscated by nationalism. Um, as you said, he's sort of developed a class consciousness, and as as did you, yourself coming yeah. coming through the army. Um, and obviously, that there's now been a talk of almost like a, a, a soldiers federation akin to the police federation. Yeah. To what extent is this? And and we did speak briefly as well off mic about there have always been sort of radical veterans mm. organisations and sort of. Tr- attempts to agitate within the military yeah, yeah. to what extent is it possible to actually you know think that that there's some class consciousness you because know, we work to develop class consciousness within the trade union movement you know within workplaces and, yeah. and with limited success how on earth is it possible to do something like that to organize within the army yeah it's very i mean it is very difficult because it's um because the nature institution because the some of the stuff which is ingrained in you like keep it in-house um the kind of discipline which is imposed on you to not dissent it's all about not dissenting but that said the military is full of dissent squadies are the biggest whingers and moaners <laughs> I've ever come across and rightly wrongly in some cases but rightly in others and the military is like a weird it's like a weird mix of things because of course the military is a planned economy mm. you're guaranteed food some kind of education some kind of it in the context of the military useful employment housing healthcare and so within it even though it's not I'm not one of those people who's like the military like those American 
Take lefty care of liberals are like the military is socialist. And I'm yeah, like, no, it's not. Yeah. It's state funded. That's not socialist. <laughs> you guys are spread socialism. There. There, there, there are people there like is, that in the UK yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah, think yeah it's there a are. Working class come across them as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but there, there is a degree of solidarity. Obviously, the, the army ingrained solidarity and then says use this solidarity to go and kill Arabs or Afghans. Yeah. Uh, but there is an element of that, and I think um, the the experience of military service and the experience of war can um, ennoble you and make you left wing uh it can have that effect uh, but it can also go the other way so it's, it's like everything in history is contested isn't it there, and there are forces at play which sometimes the people don't understand but it can it can be um the federal police federation the uh, police federation style thing is not enough why shouldn't they have the right to strike this mm. is, um, you, you have to push that stuff on but it is something uh and it will give people a voice and perhaps that is a forum to to develop more politics but like look historically um uh the New Model Army, the agitators, um, were the founders of liberal representative democracy. And that it was people in the ranks developing their own politics in the experience of war. Um, we just did that. We can go all through different periods of history, but more recently and perhaps more relevant when we talk about the potential settlement here is um, the guys who came back from the Second World War, mm. voted out Churchill, himself a veteran for Attlee uh, and a Labour programme, um, who were like sick and they're drawn on the experience of their fathers who came back to nothing after the First World War. Um, so it can happen um, and it can go it can go either way. Yeah. It's just it needs a push. It needs thousands of people, masses of people to push history in different directions. And I think that's definitely the case. Um, like here's this potential new and they've said they will consult on it. They haven't said they will do it, which originally they kind of said would do it. But it's politics, isn't it? But um, if they do, then that here's a, a tool which can go one way or the other. It depends who's involved in it. Is it who's who's it staffed by? Um, uh, how does it operate? What rights does it extend? What kind of platform does it give to to service personnel? Because um, I know it's a very crude it's a very crude analysis on one level, but they are essentially workers in uniform. They're public sector mm. workers. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's. I mean, it could go somewhere, or it could be an absolute damn squib. <laughs> you spoke about solidarity uh, there, and something I've picked up in your book. Correct me if I'm wrong. Not like a nostalgia, essentially for the military, but almost the sense of the, the bonds you you form with people within the military, mm. the the language, the you know, the fact that it is a almost an overwhelmingly working class yeah. institution where sort of young men come together and and, and stuff. Um, that seems to me something that a lot of people on the left don't kind of understand. Why? I mean, especially if you look at the world of work, mm. anime alienation, and things like that, and and how hard it is for working class people to get on. Mm. Um, I, and I guess this is why some people on the left conversely will fetishise the military as oh it's a yeah. class institution people can make something of themselves like the Welsh yeah. government Welsh government will you know not touch the military because it's like the, such a huge employer so in Wales count. and it's about yeah. you know social mobility and like oh, it's giving people these amazing skills but mm. I, do I do I detect something like that like almost like a residual fondness for the the culture of solidarity that is missing in- absolutely absolutely and maybe it probably is nostalgia it might be accurate to say nostalgia there there I was like a keen soldier and I was good at being a soldier they promoted me years early um, and I loved it like I really loved it and I miss many things about it um, not the toffs obviously but the the, the guys mm. but more as important the sense of purpose uh, because I I joined the military I think for the right reasons uh, there's the econ- mostly it was economic but in terms of the ideological stuff you should want you should want to go and help other people around the world you should want that it's the right thing to want it's just that the military doesn't do that but they tell you they do um, and so that the the purpose and the sense, um, even though it was revealed to be false, the sense that we were 
going to do something good and help people. And we had a role is really valuable, um, and the solidarity you build through that. And it's not it's not like an unnuanced solidarity. Loads of people in my unit and every unit were dickheads, but there was this overarching mission which brought you together. Um, and I sometimes think the left talks a lot about solidarity. I don't even use the term comrade mm. on the left. I don't even like it. Mm. I, I reserve it when I do use it. It's for other veterans. Because um, I think it's like a bit like fascism. The term fascist is exhausted of meaning. Um, and when they talk about solidarity, the, the left, the left aristocracy, yeah. should we call them? <coughs> they talk in these terms. But I'm like, you don't know what that means. You will hate each other. Yeah. You will hate each. It's not just that you hate because you can hate each other and work together. So you hate each other and stitch each other up. Yeah. And that is anathema to the military. Being yeah. jack, jacking on your mates, being selfish, uh, is the ultimate. Is the cardinal sin. Mm. Um, and I think there are lessons to be learned from that. And I am—I do get nostalgic for it, even though um, a lot of it was based on uh, was not didn't turn out to be true. The ideas in there um, have value, I would suggest. Well, in Soldier Box, there's a, it's a well, it's not funny, but like I mean, when you when you you're demobilising and you come out almost into the expectant arms of the of the of the left, I guess. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. As yeah. like, and then. I sense like a rapid disillusionment almost with uh, you said almost like a cult of personality within the, the left and, but yeah, I think yeah, that, yeah, that, that's that's key really though I mean like one oh, of those yeah. one of those heartbreaking things I was things. definitely useful to, to sections of the left yeah and I understand why like, I understand yeah. why like they, they were like here's this you know something yeah. comes along in your life and they do it to every there's always a cool celebrator yeah. who gets um, uh, bled dry for a while <laughs> or maybe not maybe they have the best intentions but it feels yeah. like that yeah. it feels like that after a while one of the but one of the worst things for me about um, my limited experience of the left is is precisely what you said that a lot you you it's fundamental you you can't talk about solidarity and class politics and and be a dickhead and stitch people up and, and be quite yeah, yeah, yeah. underhand and scheming and that's yeah. because they might not <laughs> if you're like a middle class person and you used to be in a backstabber because it kind of goes with the territory <laughs> they might not, but if you're a working class person then there are certain things you you do yeah. not do and I think and, and they're very obvious yeah it's very obvious when you do do them and people are like. What's going on there? But I, like, I, after years, the formula I've borrowed is like, is what you do politically, is it for you mm. or is it for the furtherment of your of the class? That's the calculation. Are you doing this because you want to be on Sky fucking mm. news all the time? Or are you doing it to, to genuinely elevate working class militancy mm. and give people a sense of themselves and improve their politics and so that they themselves can push on? Um, and that's the calculation. And if you're not... If you're that one rather than that one, then uh, then I don't have much time for it. And we've always honest. we've always said that you know politics should be a reflection of your of your values, and it's almost how could you be on the left if you're not basically a nice, kind person that cares about one another yeah, and things yeah. like that. And yeah. and um and one of the problems I have with a lot of the sanctimony on the left is that a lot of the people you see who are maybe apolitical or maybe have less quote unquote problematic views yeah. when you speak to them are good people with good values but absolutely. they haven't had absolutely yeah, yeah. sort of thing grafted onto them they well, they do, they yeah, they've, they've had what how many years use, of like... the press telling them that yeah. immigrants are bad like this stuff if you're on the left you should know this you yeah. have an analysis you know why people yeah, think exactly. bad things yeah. um, and you can't be and, and that's the thing Like I grew up in a working class community um, I was in the army which is also a working, you know, working with working class people I understand I'm used to dealing with people with racist ideas mm, it's not, absolutely, it's not yeah. shocking yeah. to me if someone says exactly, oh, yeah. like, I'm like but would you, I okay, can have can, a conversation you're not, you're about it like, yeah, I can yeah. I still have <laughs> Whoa, a beer this is and, not cool yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, this, the, yeah which, which is another reflection of like the, the American left uh, uh, and, and the, the kind of ne the neoliberal politics which yeah, is all about me 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 yeah, yeah. Um, which is, which is the, the exact opposite of, of what um, left policy should be about Joe we're going to wrap up now but 
moving forward is um, in terms of like a, an anti-militarism, anti-militarist future, a future world at war and conflict. Um, to what extent do you think veterans should be at the heart of this this stuff? Well, I think they have to be at the heart. Um, though what form that will take remains to be seen. Um, I think there should be some kind of veterans union mm. organised around economic stuff, friend about stuff, and that's what happened after the First World War. Mm. But those were then some of those were more radical than other. There was four unions. One of them was the Officers Association, which wasn't radical, which was a reactionary. <laughs> it still exists. <laughs> really, but the rest were all folded into the RBL. This is where the RBL comes from: ex-servicemen's federations and unions. Right, okay. So I, I think there needs to be something like that around economic interests, but also broader political stuff, like foreign policy. Yeah. The soldiers have direct experience of of, uh, of British foreign policy. Um, how that will happen, I don't know. There is no organisation like that. The the only organisation which touches it is could could be that is VFP, but VFP is not going to do that. VFP yeah. has a very limited remit. Um, and that's, that, that's their thing. They play the kind of, we're neither left nor right. Mm. It's kind of anti-politics to me. Um, but there are... Uh, there, is, there is potential, and there aren't. Do you know? It's funny. It's funny when you start being a gobby. If you're a left-wing veteran, mm. when you start shouting about it, there's fucking thousands of them mm. out there. But they don't lead with the fact they're veterans because mm. they don't. Part of that's they don't feel comfortable with the left, and part of it's that they don't feel comfortable with the right. Will say okay, uh, but there are they pop up. There's loads and loads of veterans who are formulated around the Corbyn thing. Interesting, you know, and All they're right. not that radical of demands really yeah. in the context of Britain today. Uh, but there are lots of veterans with left wing, with good solid left wing ideas, who who are very keen to to um, to improve the world, not least foreign policy. Last thing, um, do you think Tim Collins? You, you've, you've met yeah. him now, yeah. yeah, yeah so so when him, yeah. so when he takes over, yeah, when he takes <laughs> over, he'll be, he's right. be coming straight off to me. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I thought he'd be all right with you, know, because he's like you've had a bit of a sit down. Or I could sense him massively about to lose his temper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's just him, though. I think yeah. that's just him. I don't even know how he got him. <laughs> he just said he was like, yeah, yeah, I'll do it. But he was using sort of alt right tropes, you know. Wasn't yeah, he? Like, he was saying like they must be very yeah. depressed. That's yeah, the yeah, stuff. That's the stuff. The Guardian and yeah, stuff out. Oh, really? Guardian readers, yeah, yeah, but and it kind of. And he I come like across it a lot. Yeah, he, yeah, he, yeah, basically. But but one thing he said which really struck me was in his mind, and this is a guy who's like a founder member, I think, of the Henry Jackson Society. Mm. Pretty got some pretty pretty cracky politics as we saw. But um, in his mind, Blair, Corbyn, and the Guardian yeah. are all the same, yeah, and yeah. they're all Marxist Leninists. Yeah, and this is like as if Corbyn, Blair, and the Guardian get. I mean, Blair and yeah. Blair and the Guardian, yeah. But as if these are somehow in the yeah. same Sphere, same. Like, yeah. And I think there are a lot of. That that's a kind of far right trope as well, isn't it? But there are a lot of people on on the further right who who see the world in those terms, in like Manishian, everything left of <laughs> you know, I don't know, yeah. Alex yeah, Jones, yeah, 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 is yeah. is uh, is a they're all Marxists. Okay, yeah. so hopefully, um, I like Tim Collins's like new sort of hipster look. So maybe if I compliment him, he won't put me straight in the camp. Um, <laughs> yeah. Joe, thanks so much for coming. Uh, well, coming. Uh, thanks so much for having us because we <laughs> yeah. we've You're come welcome. To you. You're welcome um, to my shed. Is there anyone you'd like to give a shout out to or promote or start a beef with? Uh, I love beef. Uh, all kinds of beef. All kinds of beef with everyone. Okay. Beef, with, yeah. beef with Paul Mason because he's okay. coming out with weird military shit at the moment. I, don't, again, I quite again, like him again. on a lot of things. I quite like him on, on loads of stuff but now he's like... Uh, it's, it's, like it's, like how to be, it's like a tick for him, isn't it? This yeah, military yeah, thing. It's yeah, never it's far from the surface. Yeah, it's like NATO fanboys, um, all flag nonces of all kinds, <laughs> separate category, war nonces, yeah. fuck you all. Um, yeah, have a look at um, Forces Watch. Uh, which is the organisation I work for. We've got loads of good stuff on resources on militarism, recruiting, uh, and stuff like that. Buy my book, watch my documentary. <laughs> There's another one coming out, hopefully next year we're working on it. So watch this space. Top man. Uh, yeah, so again, shout out to Joe, shout out to the Forces Watch, um, and 
uh, War Resistance International for having us. It's a fantastic venue, um, albeit rustic. Rustic <laughs> is the word, yeah. So, no, it's great. It's um, like the Unabomber's uh, house. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's actually what I've been using it for. Yeah. Yeah. When we lose this election, I'm ready yeah. to go. Yeah. So, hopefully, no one gets a uh, Christmas present off you this year. No, no, no. no, no sorry. Um, I saw the, uh, Scorsese's new film, The Irishman. Which is, oh, was that last night? It's class, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, it's good. It's, it's, good. it's three and a half hours long, but like the three pa- and a half. Yeah, yeah but the pacing's done in such a way that yeah. you can just. I, I thought if if I saw it in the cinema, I'd be fine. Like, yeah. wouldn't want to stretch my legs or anything. Yeah, it was good. The aging technology kind of threw me a bit. I'm like, are you well, young now? Are you yeah, old now? but the thing is, they still all moved like old people. Yeah. So when De Niro's filling someone and then he's yeah. like still couldn't move properly. Yeah. Like, but uh, him and Pesci, Pesci looks just yeah. And he had that. Who's that Scouse guy? Stephen. Oh, oh yeah, this is England. Yeah, yeah. 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 he was very good in it as a as a gangster. Yeah, yeah. Um, with a very quite good American accent. Yeah, he's Scouser. good, wasn't he? And yeah. uh, Pacino in there as well. Yeah, just yeah, yeah. Uh, being a bit grouchy. It's surprising how short they all are. You yeah. think Pesci's quite small. All the great. Pacino's yeah. small. Like, all the great. On the slide, on the lowdown, I really love the kind of mafia union nexus. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then yeah, Castro, know, yeah, I'm definitely. like, so, so half, dirty half, and grimy. And, half yeah. are giving $500,000 to yeah. Nixon like he yeah, hated JFK. Yeah, yeah. We don't have that over here. That's a good thing. We yeah. can Not yet. Mob links. Yeah. Oh yeah, we're working on We're still trying to promote that. So my shout out is to any mobsters who'd like to kind of build a union with us. Veterans Union. Yeah, or, there we or are. Contrib- there. Contribute to our Patreon. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> listen, uh, follow us on Twitter at Destination Wales and contribute to our Patreon, please, guys. Um, Especially for a mobster. And thanks so much for listening. Take it easy. Right. Bye. Cheers. Bye. You've been in the army for long? I was in the army myself. Medic. 20 years. Posh cuddles. Mm. Tell them thick cunts to kill poor cunts. Mm. That's the army for you. It's all a lie. They don't care about you. You're just a piece of meat to them. Piece of meat. Get yourself some rest, son. <laughs>